This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. So today, to get started, we're going to play a little game today. It's called Fact or Fiction. Fact or Fiction. I'm going to read two statements, and then I'm going to give you a moment to decide which one you think is the fact. Which one you think is the fact. And then I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to move on. We've got 10 of them. Y'all ready to go? All right, here's the first one. Elephants instinctively return to a place known as the elephant graveyard to die in the wild. Fact number one. Number two, between the 13th and 17th century, there were wild dance parties in the streets of Europe motivated by bread that was made from an infected grain containing a drug that we now call LSD. Which is the fact? Which is the fiction? The fact is that there were dance parties from LSD. Tough to believe that one. Let's move on. Number two. Number two. Lightning never strikes the same place twice. Lightning never strikes the same place twice. Second statement, it really can rain animals. As recently as 2005, there was a reported rain of frogs and toads in Serbia. Who would say the first one is the fact? Who would say the second one is the fact? Split room. The second one is the fact. It There really was a reported rain of frogs and toads in Serbia in 2005. Number three, number three, people are more attracted to people who look like them. People are more attracted to people that look just like them. Or number two, the second statement, when a person passes away their nails and their hair continues to grow. Who would say number one is true? Who would say number two is true? Actually, number one is true. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, it's not really. It is. Number one is true. Scientists have proven that we look at ourselves so much that the prototype of a face in our brain is our face. And so people are more scientifically attracted to people that look like them. That's creepy right there. Number four. Shaking hands transfers more germs than kissing. Shaking hands transfers more germs than kissing. Second statement, eating up to an hour before swimming increases the chance for muscle cramps and drowning. Y'all heard that one before, haven't you? Who would say the first statement is true? Who would say the second statement is true? All the kids are raising their hands on the second one. You know mom and dad have been saying, the first one is true. Shaking hands transfers more germs than kissing. I guess that's why the Bible says greet each other with a holy kiss, right? Number five, according to archaeological evidence, dinosaurs and humans did not exist at the same time on earth. And the second statement, butterflies don't taste through their mouth. They actually taste through their back legs. Who would say the first statement is true? Who would say the second statement is true? That is true. That is the, the true statement there. Number six, number six. A goldfish can only remember something for a few seconds. In the second statement, the average person accidentally ingests 430 bugs a year. 
Who would say the first one is true? Who would say the second one is true? The second one is true. We, we swallow and digest over 430 bugs a year. That's gross right there. I don't care who you are. All right. Number seven, this is, this is starting to get a little weird. It is possible for men to breastfeed their offspring. And second, bulls are colorblind and cannot see the red flags that are used by the matadors. Bulls are colorblind and cannot see the red flags used by the... Who would say number one? Who would say number two? Actually, they're both true. <laughs> it's really, there, there was a, a recent um, prostate cancer medication that was put on the market and tested. And, and that medication actually activated mammary glands in men that when they had children, there was the potential to, it's gross, isn't it? That's gross. Sorry. Y'all learning all kind of stuff today. Number eight. Russia is actually bigger than the former planet Pluto. The former planet. That's a, don't you feel sorry for Pluto? Russia is that, and uh, second statement, the Great Wall of China is the only man-made object viewable from space. Who would say the first statement is true? Who would say the second? All right, actually, the first statement is true. Russia is literally bigger than this size of, of Pluto, and none of the astronauts that have ever been to the outer, in, in outer space have ever reported seeing the Great Wall. It, it is viewable in space pictures and photography, but none of, none of our astronauts have ever reported being able to see that. Number nine, the term sushi literally translates into raw fish. Second statement, lobsters do not die of old age. They only die from disease or because they are eaten. Who would say the first statement is true? Who would say the second statement is true? The second statement is true. Isn't that awesome? Lobsters, they actually just found a lobster that was almost 80 years old, and it weighed almost 44 pounds. That's a huge lobster. All right, and number 10, last one. There are more nerve synapses in the human brain than the estimated stars in the Milky Way galaxy in the second statement, if you swallow bubblegum, it takes seven years to digest. Right? We heard that one before, right? Which one is true? First statement or the second statement? The first statement is true. There are more stars. Isn't that a wonder of the creation that God leveraged into our um, bodies and design? <clears throat> Today I'm going to tell you this. That it's really easy in a world that is full of so much fiction to subtly lose our capacity to trust and in turn doubt everything. In a world that is filled with so much fiction, it is really easy to lose our capacity to trust and start to doubt everything. And trust is important. It's important. This is the first thing in your notes. What we trust is important. Number one, what we're trusting directly affects how we respond to life. What we're trusting is going to directly impact how we respond to life as it happens to us. 
And life is going to happen to you. There are some bad things that are going to happen. And when those things happen, what we're trusting, the trust that we're putting into whatever it is, our trust impacts how we react to those negative situations and those good situations. Number two, what we trust impacts our stress and anxiety. If you're trusting your stock market portfolio, when the market dips down 200 points, our stress goes up a little bit. If you're trusting your bank account and you log in and you look at the number that represents what your checking account looks like right now and it's a little bit lower than what you think it should be, our stress and our anxiety starts to increase. If you're trusting a person and they start doing something that is breaking that trust or eroding that trust, our stress and our anxiety start to increase. And number three, trust is always a catalyst for personal growth. Which is, I think, no more evident than today in the phenomena that exists behind Tony Horton and P90X, right? There's a lot of folks that are like me, man. I'd like to drop about 10 pounds. I'd like to get in shape. I'd like to be able to run a 10K and not be completely out of breath and about dead by the time I got done with it. And so what happens with a phenomenon like somebody who would say, I'm going to give you an hour every day. You say, I trust you, Tony Horton. If I give you this hour and do this routine, I will get better. Trust is important, but trust is a fragile thing. Trust is a very fragile thing. And the truth is, is that most of us in this room are living with broken hearts, full of doubt, because trust was broken at some point. Trust is a fragile thing. Let's think about how trust is broken because it happens to all of us at some point. The first place that it really happens for most of us is that as kids, we learn and it is ingrained in us that our parents love us and they care for us and they want to provide for us and take care of us and they want to give us a good life and so we trust our parents. But our parents are human and flawed. They're full of the same junk that their parents were filled, filled with. And, and most of the time, even though they work really hard and do their best, what happens is that our parents break our trust. When we're teenagers, we grow outside of the home and we start to put our trust into other relationships. We have friends and boyfriends and girlfriends and we trust them. But because they're flawed and motivated by themselves, because they sin, trust is broken. As they break our trust, as young adults, Growing into maturity, 
we often put our trust into teachers who are helping us bridge that gap between childhood and adulthood. But it is not uncommon to come back to a teacher and to say, some of that stuff you taught me was junk. I got to college and they told me something totally different. And my trust was broken. As adults, we've learned that most people will let you down, so we put our trust into our pastors. Because they stand on stage and talk about Jesus and they tell us about what God's Word says. And because we put our trust in them, we expect them to be superhuman. And occasionally we catch them at a weak moment when they might say a crossword or we, in worst cases, see them fall and sin. And trust is broken. So we're often left looking at the one person that we trust and love, and that's our spouse. And we think there could never be any way this person that loves me, that has given their whole life to be devoted to me, could ever break my trust. And over and over again, I sit with people that not just through sexual affairs, but through many other ways, have had the trust that exists between them and their spouse broken. And then we become parents. And we say to ourselves, I will not be like those other people. I will not, I will not do that to my kid. I won't be that person that isn't there when they need them. I won't be that person that tells them something that isn't true. I won't be that, but we do. And we break the trust that we've placed in ourselves to be perfect. Trust is a fragile thing. As a matter of fact, I used to go to camp. And at camp, we would do this exercise. I don't know if y'all ever did this. It was called a trust fall. I'm going to ask six men to come forward. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Because you may have had a wonderful experience with doing a trust fall. I personally didn't. Did anybody ever get dropped in a trust fall? Have you ever seen that happen? If you haven't, we're going to watch a little clip and watch it happen right now. And as funny as that is, that's where many of you are today. You, you got ready and, and your friends and your family or your teachers, your boss, maybe your pastor, maybe your spouse said, I'm ready to catch you. I'm ready. Drop. And you dropped and they didn't catch you. And it left you broken and lost. The truth is, is that for many of us today, you probably have every reason to be filled with doubt because of your experiences. Your experiences with people who have let you down, the people who have betrayed your trust, the people who dropped you. You probably have every reason 
to be filled with doubt. But when doubt weaves its way into our foundational attitudes, and that's what we're looking at in this series, foundational attitudes, attitudes that are existing beneath the surface that predicate how we navigate the world. We're crippled in our ability to follow Jesus. So today we're going to look at a a really profound story that comes out of Acts 4 and 5. So if you have your Bibles, I'd, I'd get ready and go ahead and turn there. We're going to spend some time there. Just to give you some background, at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus leaves. He's resurrected from the dead. He is now alive. A, a good many people see him, and after he leaves, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit that will be here to comfort you. Obviously, we love Jesus. We're sorry he's gone. And we're anticipating God to do something amazing. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, empowers the best sermon ever preached in the history of the church. Peter steps out, preaches 3,000 people in a world that has never heard the message of Jesus respond to this invitation that Peter gives. And in one day, 3,000 people people commit their lives to Jesus. And because of this great ministry that evolves, um, really coming out of those core disciples, Peter and John and a few other guys, this great concern among the religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem. To the point that in Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested Peter and John are arrested, the Bible says in Acts 4.13, that during the trial, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. Because before this board of very educated men. Before this crew of people who knew what was going on and, and what the, should be happening in the church world, this, this, these were just plain, ordinary guys who had never been to school, who had never had any kind of religious training, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus because they were bold. And they shared this truth boldly and proclaimed it boldly. And so they were put into a predicament, even though they were arrested, even though they were intending to imprison them, now that this movement has gained this great popularity, they refused to do that because they were scared of what would happen if they imprisoned Peter and John. So they let them go. But the church in Acts 4 comes under a bit of a persecution. And so I want to read a prayer to you as I was reading and studying this week. This is one of those prayers that, as I read it, I mean, I literally was weeping because of the context of here's a group of people who have just met Jesus. And they're now, all of the world that they know is standing against what they've committed their lives to. So in verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens 
and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In this moment, when persecution is beginning to come against the early church, it is remarkable that the prayer that they pray isn't God, take this persecution away. It's that in the midst of this persecution, would you empower us to be more bold? I mean, boldness is what brought it on. And they're saying, God, if what we had is a five, take us to a ten. Because we want to be all in this for you. And God does it. The scriptures record that that place was shaken. And that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in one of those beautiful moments in the book of Acts, there is nothing charismatic that's attached to that moment except for the fact that they walk out and proclaim the word of God boldly. And as Acts 4 comes to an end, with the persecution against the church elevating, the believers begin to take their possessions and share them among one another. They begin to share them, and a guy named Barnabas sells a piece of property. And he gets a pretty good price for the property and comes and says, it's not mine, I'm going to give it. All of this money, everything, the, all the proceeds come back to you. Now I want to read a story that corresponds with that. Right after that, the book of Acts records this. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge... He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man 
came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That's the price. And Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And a young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You see, there's a great difference between the act that Barnabas commits at the end of Acts 4, where he sells a piece of property and gives everything to the church, and what happens between Ananias and Sapphira. Here's the first thing that I would give you that's an observation for us to make from that text. The first is that we need to do what is right, but the heart behind what we do is often just as important. What they were doing was good. They were giving money to help support, but there was a heart that was sick behind the action. There was a heart that was sick behind the action. They were coming up and pretending to give the money that was allocated from the cell, but conspiring to keep a portion for themselves so that they looked good, but they profited in the background. The heart of what we do matters. The second thing that I see is that we can't lie to God without catastrophic implications. The truth is we can't lie to God. But when we try to fool ourselves into thinking that we can lie to God, when we try to think that we can put on a show, put on a facade, act like it's all right, and we've got it all together, there are catastrophic implications when we try to lie to God. And the third thing is that what we trust and what we doubt is a matter of life and death. Because in Barnabas at the end of Acts 4, we see a man who trusts Jesus. Here's the property I own. I will sell it and give all the money. I trust you. I'm going to give everything I got. I'm all in. But in Ananias and Sapphira, we see two people who simply trust their bank account. And if they give everything that they have away, their security erodes as well. And so they decide to keep some money back for themselves. What we trust and what we doubt is a matter of life and death. So let's go through an attitude adjustment about our doubt today. 
the first thing that we need to do is we need to accept that doubt and trust are playing big roles in our relationships. They're playing huge roles in the way that we relate to other people. Doubt constantly erodes intimacy. It is a negative impact on our capacity to be close to other people. When we constantly doubt other people, doubt what they say, what they do, what their motives are, it will constantly keep people at an arm's length from us. But trust draws us closer. Trust enables us to be in intimate, close relationships. The second thing that we need to do is we, re, we just need to accept this and realize that nobody, not even you, is worthy of complete and total trust. Nobody is worthy of complete and total trust. And there's a reason for that. And that's because when we place our trust into the wrong place, when we put our trust in the wrong hands, it is going to get broken. It's going to. So I want you to look at a few things that highlight how important this decision is, what we trust, because trusting the wrong thing will inevitably lead to death. So look at this, Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, God, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Psalm 40 verse 4. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. And maybe the greatest single verse in all of the canon of Scripture that speaks to this, Proverbs 3, my favorite verse in all the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust in who? In the Lord. The only place we can place our trust that is safe and secure is in the arms of Jesus. That's it. Number three, the last thing is to trust Jesus and follow him. Because here's how we blow it. I do something with, with premarital couples and I love it. It messes with their heads. It's so awesome. It's the night before their last session. All right, typically those last few weeks they've been working hard, preparing for their wedding and before that last session, I give them homework. And I tell them, wife, bride, I want you to go home and I want you to pray. I don't care if you've prayed this prayer before, but I want you to pray it until you get an answer from God. 
God, do you want me to marry him? And the husband's looking at me like, you really going to ask her to pray that right now? You're going, right, it was two weeks out. And the reason I do that is because when they come back in that last session and they have that googly love glow on their face and they say, I'm convinced that God wants me to get married to him then I can look at them and say, you can trust Jesus then. Because he's going to fail you. And when he does, you can trust Jesus. You can trust that God brought you to this relationship and whatever junk you're walking through right now, he wants to teach you something through it. Because you're going to find out at some point along the way that people aren't trustworthy. Because we're sinners. We're broken. We're messes. But Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is worthy of our trust. And when we trust him, we can follow him. I can get out of my seat and go when he tells me. I can be free to step aside when he tells me to sit down. Because I can trust him. And most of us are living with hearts that are filled with doubt. Because somebody let you down. Today, I want to invite you to trust Jesus. To overcome that doubt with trust. And to put that trust into Him. Let's pray. God, today, many of us are in this place filled with doubt and insecurities. There's voices that, that we've learned to hear that say things like, you can't trust them. They're going to fail you. I know he's saying that, but he can't do that. And God, we've let that broken trust become a way that we look at you and we've said to you, God, I don't think you can. I know the Bible says that you can accept me and love me, that you want to bring me in and, and steward me, that you want to save me, God, that you want to redeem my relationship with you. I, I get that, but I don't think you can do that. Because i got my doubts about this whole thing, God. And today I hope that we can see that doubt has been sabotaging our lives. That you will open our eyes to see how that is working to destroy the life that you want to give us. And so Jesus, we trust you. We just want to confess that. Now, there are people in here today, God, that have had their trust broken in catastrophic ways. They've been hurt. They've been wounded. And maybe never before now have they realized that the failure of a man has kept them from the love of their Savior. 
And so today, God, we just want to ask you to come and to excavate that doubt. To get it out of our hearts so that we can trust and we can live a life that is free to trust you in everything that when you've called us to be there, God, we can trust you. And we can anchor our lives in that trust with nobody looking around, nobody speaking, no movement. Let me ask you this question today. Would you say today that I've heard all this stuff about how God loves me and that He wants me to be in a relationship with Him and that maybe I could all this stuff, this baggage I've been carrying through life, I can, I can get rid of that, but I've really doubted that that's true. Because along the way, somebody broke my trust. But today, I'd like to get that right. Today, I want to just say, hey, that was a person. That was a, a sinful person. And I can't describe Jesus in the context of a sinful person. I can't measure a loving, caring God against the example of a fallen, broken person. So today, if that's you, right now, where you're seated, Would you just raise your hand? That's awesome. Is there anybody else that would say, I've just been so filled with doubt that it has made it impossible for me to trust Jesus? Is there anybody that would say that? I also want to ask another question. This is really for all of us. Has the failure, the broken trust that's existed in your life in the past so filled your heart with doubt that it's affecting your life today that you're literally not living fully trusting Jesus? If that's you, we can get, out, we can get that right today and God through His power can come into our hearts and sweep out that ugly, gross doubt and fill it with some trust. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? That's awesome. Let's pray. God, for those of us that are in the room who would say, all of this, this whole thing, I've been been living hating people because something that someone else did a long time ago, and I've let that doubt spill over into the way that I think about you. And so today, God, I look to you. And I ask you to come by your grace and to free me, free us from the bondage of sin and to let us experience new life by trusting you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.